So I'm going to welcome now um, Bishop David Carr to come and preach, bring his word to us today. So let's just give him one more Geordie welcome, shall we? I retired from 47 years as a pastor on March 23rd. This has just brought it back. And then in a month, I buried four of my friends. And they were all precious, and it seems as if God let them serve me. And when I'd come to the end of the journey, he said, come home. Now we cry. Not because of where they've gone, but because they've gone. Not because of where they've gone, but because they've gone. And the one, when we only had 12 in the church, he took us from 12 to 2,000. He was the first keyboard player we ever had. He was the, one of the best jazz pianists in the country. Served me nonstop. A personal friend. Just brought it all back. He stayed with me for 47 years. And then two months later, his son got married. You see, we're not professional <coughs> at the front. And as they came in, they came into his CD. I started weeping. And his son said to me afterwards, that made the wedding. Because we all know you love Dad. And I saw Alan weeping. That's the sign of a shepherd who loves his sheep. The first guy, I'm the only man left now that started the church, they're all dead. And the guy who started it with me, very personal man, tried to kill himself when he was younger. He was so lonely, so faithful in the church, very independent, and he had a brain tumor. His wife said, I used to see you come in and feed him. And he'd only let you feed him. And I was ever so professional all through the service. Burying your friend. Until we got to the committal. And in the hymn just before the committal, when I had to commit him ashes to ashes, dust to dust, I started weeping. And his wife jumped off of the front row and she embraced me and held me. We did the committal together. I felt so ashamed. I came to my leaders on the Monday and I said, I've let them down so badly. And one of my leaders, pastors, was a consultant psychiatrist and he said to me, Pastor Dave, that is the best funeral as a psychiatrist I've ever been to. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, people think you just do this as a job. He said, what you don't realize is came to the most terrible part of the service where the committal comes and the curtains come close. And rather than his wife thinking of her dead husband, she thought of his living friend. And she spent all the time comforting you. And you did it together. He said, she will always remember that. And I tell you this as a psychiatrist, that's the best funeral I've ever been to. Because you deflected the most painful time of the service. She spent her time loving the living and releasing the dead. I just felt I needed to say that today. 
because seeing the way you are grieving has brought back all my four friends who I lost only a few months ago. And as a man of faith and a man of God who's seen mighty healings, it's good when we weep. You know, Jesus wept. Men weep. You know, if Newcastle and that been funny because I follow them as one of my teams, if they lose today, men will weep over a football match. We should weep over those we love. We should weep through laughter. We should weep through sadness. And that brings me into what I want to share with you today. We did a series recently called Mythbusters. Who are you going to call for? Mythbusters. The world say a lot about us, and they're not always wrong. But they say things like, I don't go to churches full of hypocrites. And we go, oh, no, it's not. And the answer is, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> but they don't understand what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite isn't a Christian. The word hypocrite comes from the Latin, and it means to hold a mask over your face, to be an actor. And they see a lot of people who act to be Christians, but they're not really Christians. And they associate them as Christians because they go to church. And we all say, no, we're not. And the answer is, yes, there are a lot of hypocrites in the church, but they're not Christians. <laughs> they just attend every Sunday. They tithe every Sunday. They sing worship every Sunday, but they're not actually Christians. And there's another classic one that says, I don't need, I don't need Christianity. It's just a crutch for the weak. Ever heard that one? It's just a crutch for the weak. I don't need that. And I used to, I used to argue, oh, no, it's not. And then I thought one day, Oh, yes, it is. They're right, but for the wrong reason. I mean, what is, what is a crutch? It's a mobility aid that transfers weight from the legs to the upper body. It's often used for people who cannot use their legs to support their weight for reasons ranging from short-term injuries to lifelong disabilities. It's for people who can't stand without an aid. And the question is, everybody in this room's got one. It can be booze, drugs, sex. It can be your iPad. It can be anything. It can be your work. It can be your wife. It can be your husband. It can be your kids. And what you do is, you without them, you, you fall. If something's taken away from you, you fall. You lose your job, you fall. You, you lose your wife, you fall. You lose your husband, you fall. Your kids go up and leave, you fall. You can't survive without a drink, a cigarette, you fall. Without drugs, you fall. Without TV and watching your programs and you, every week you fall. There's something. How do I know what a crutch is? It's the first thing you go to when you, when you need support. It's the first person you go to when you need support. It's the first action you think of when you need support. So you, have to, you, just, simply, you just have to think to yourself, what's the first thing I do when I hit a crisis? Where do I go to? That's a crutch. So the question isn't, isn't you Christians. It's just, a, it's just a crutch. The answer is what's yours? But I want to explain how good our crutch is. I want to tell you how good our support is. You see, our life outside of Christ is designated lost, dead, frail and weak. We've all been in the world. Some of us are Christians here today. Some are not yet Christians here. They're exploring. You work with people every day that aren't Christians and you can see the weakness of life. We're living in a, in a social crisis, a political crisis like we haven't seen since the Second World War. 
We are actually just a fringe away from revolution in this country. Families are being divided on Brexit. Our politics are in a mess. We can't trust politicians anymore because we say they're all liars. Whichever side you stand on. We're in a very vulnerable situation with our young people. Our problems with education, our problems with the health service. I work in the health service as well and they're demob happy, which is an army phrase. It means they want to get out. The West Midland Police Force, which is the second biggest police force in Britain, have had a record mental illness with 200 days, 2,000 days taken off last year. Two, 200,000 days corporately taken off with mental illness. Now we have to have therapists for everything. Whatever happens to you now, you need a therapist. Our kids now are on the spectrum. Mental illness has had less money invested in it than anything else, but now it's becoming a world and, and a national epidemic. Depression, antidepressants. Many Christians are on it and they go, oh, I feel guilty, so why do you feel guilty? If, you, if you've got heart trouble, you'd take that aspirin, wouldn't you? Mental health is no different to any other type of health. It's health. If you broke your leg, people have sympathy. If you have a breakdown, they say, pull yourself together. Stupid. Anybody in the house <coughs> understand the Midland accent? <laughs> Why, I? <laughs> exactly. So a crutch is supporting. Now, unless you're permanently disabled, the crutch is an aid to get you somewhere. I, I work as training chaplains and I work in a hospital. And when I go to the orthopaedic ward where they have the new knees and the new hips, they, they come in staggering, they go to bed, they wake up in pain, and then they get out of bed staggering. And you can see the process over the next four or five days. They start <coughs> with crutches, they start with what we call a Zimmer frame, and then you see them, they begin to walk with a stick, and then they have to get the hip back in again, the knee have to get back again, and uh, they won't let them home until they can walk up and down steps even if they live in a flat. But it's a progress and a process. Now just imagine if you broke your leg and you, you went to Freeman's or wherever your nearest hospital is and you went there and they plastered you up and they went, right, goodbye. And I said, uh, well, how am I going to go? Hop. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, you don't need a crutch. You're a grown-up man. You seem strong enough. Hop. Come on. Hop, hop. You go. Hop. What happens if I fall over? Pick yourself up. We don't, we don't need crutches nowadays. We don't need support. Just hop. Imagine if you broke both legs. Crawl. It's a new NHS saving on crutches now. We're going to make you into a man and a woman. Crawl. You know, stupid. Because, of course, what the crutches do is they take off the weakness of the lower body where you can't move. And the Jesus says unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Oh, I see. So he has his own... Zimmer frames, does he? <coughs> Let me read you Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. It's in the Amplified Version, so the reading will finish at 3.30 this afternoon. <laughs> <coughs> this is the bridge version. If you know what the Amplified Version is, for every one word, it gives you 12 alternatives. <coughs> Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint or all. He does not grow weary. Uh -huh. <coughs> There's no searching of his understanding. Uh, he gives power 
to the faint and weary. And to him who has no might, he increases strength, causing it to multiply and make it abound. Now listen to this. Even youths shall faint and be weary. And young men shall feebly stumble and fall exhausted. We're living in a world today where young people are losing stamina. But those who wait, who lean, whoever's a crutch, the Lord, who expect, who look for, who hope in him, they change and renew their strength. Oh, they will change and renew their strength and power. They shall lift their wings and move, mount up. They shall run, not grow weary. They shall walk. They'll not faint or they will not become tired because there's something that's going to aid them to recovery. You see, as a Christian, we don't always have a crutch. We don't always have a support because it's only to enable us to run and not grow weary, to walk and not faint. We become people who are motivated by God's intervention, his therapist, to get us to walk and not fall. We're not permanently disabled. But people who are on booze are on it for life. People who are on drugs are on it till he kills them. People who make God their sport are there forever. But we are supported until we can walk and not grow weary. We can walk and not faint. We can run. Because he changes the role then from being a crutch to an aid, to a counsellor, to a running companion. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall not fear evil because you are with me. Come on. Come on. Your rod and, and staff, they comfort me. Because yeah. a rod is correction and staff is support. So we're leaning on the everlasting arms. My God, this is a good sermon for today. <laughs> You'd have thought God understood this, wouldn't you? Isaiah reveals there's an incredible support crutch in the restoration of the human life. It reveals the inner condition of humanity, including young people who emotionally faint, grow weary, they will stumble in life and even fall exhausted. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come unto me, all who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Psalm 37, 23, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his right hand. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength and even present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam the mountains with their surging. No worry, we're not going to fall. See, our faith is not a crutch for our spiritual limitation. It's an aid to our future mobility. It supports us until we are capable of running and not growing weary, walking and not fainting. Our faith is a very present help in our time of trouble. Yeah, every generation, every generation needs a spiritual and emotional crutch to help them. That really gripped me. You know the part that gripped me? Even young people are falling apart. I'm, a di I'm the disciplined governor of, a, of, a, of an 1100 school. My job is to chair all the disciplines and the exclusions. Homes are falling apart. It's happening in Birmingham and Solihull, Hall, which is a very posh area. It's happening in Newcastle, Whitley Bay and Timeout. You're not excluded. I'm patron of another school. Kids now at the age, younger than senior school now, kids at the age of five and six are being permanently excluded. 
for violent behaviour and filthy language. And of course the homes say it doesn't come from us. Right. Okay. I've done that for 14 years. Some of the cases are tragic. There's an epidemic going on now. Kids are being excluded and going to pupil referral all over the place. But you know, some people say it wasn't like that in the old days. <laughs> wasn't it? Has there ever been a generation that hasn't needed God? Well, you know, in the old days, it never rained in the kids' summer holidays. For six weeks, we had nothing but sun. <laughs> well, you could never say that up, in, up here, could you? <laughs> so I looked up the records and found it rained just as much as it does now. <laughs> and you know, in those days, you could leave the door open and nobody would steal anything because you hadn't got nothing to steal. <laughs> Blooming heck, you hadn't got the big screens then and you hadn't got the iPads, you were blooming stuffed for anything. That's why nobody stole anything. And you used to go to your neighbour and say, lend me a bowl of sugar and I'll bring it back on Friday. Yeah, great, that was highlight of your life that was, wasn't it? <laughs> I was born in 1945 and we, had, and we had rationing till I was nine and my parents used to say, and I didn't understand, eat your tea because if you don't there's nothing else. And the truth was, there was nothing else. Some of us have lived through that. And mum always <coughs> to eat her dinner sometimes later because she never ate with us because she used to give the kids their food. But those are the good old days. <laughs> you know, the old Jarrow Marsh, those are the good old days. Those were, weren't they? And he asked himself the question. So, so I looked and saw if the psychologists had any help for us because they know these things. They study people's behaviour. And I found that they've recorded 10 different generations of people in our lifetime. And what they said, not the Christian, what they said about each generation. Because I found out in most churches that are not just youth churches, seven generations are sitting listening to me today. Seven generations. Listen to this. The first generation that they ever, there's 10 generations, the first generation the psychologists have analysed is the ones born between 1890 and 1915, and they're called the lost generation. These are your grandparents, some of you. They were disorientated, wandering through life, and directionless. It was during that time that the great preachers arose to bring revival because the people were lost. There was poverty all over the place. The war had just started, the First World War. There was no purpose in life. Those were the good old days. And they say Christianity is a crutch. So psychologists then said, those born between 1901 and 1913, called inter generation. That means inter in between the wars. Those born between two wars. They were too young to fight in the First World War too old to fight in the Second World War, and they lived under the Great De Depression, living through the evidence of war. That was a great time to be a young person. When the whole of your life, all you knew were war, killing, slaughter. Yeah, you don't need God, do you? There must be something you can lean on. I wonder what they lent on. How about those 1910 to 1924? They were classified as the greatest generation. Also, they're successful. No, three, these lived through the Great Depression and fought in World War II. 
They have the tenacity and fortitude in times of poverty and oppression and losing many friends and relatives. These people all had families that never, ever, ever was complete because somebody didn't come home. A brother, a son never come home. They were great just because they survived. And of course they don't need God, do they? Because in the world we don't need God, do we? We've got a crutch of our own, haven't we? We, 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 we? we don't need anything to support us. Now, this is my generation. I've got to make a quote here. This is 1925 to 45. I'm the 45 bit. In <laughs> case you think it was 25. <laughs> well, I mean, I said to me once, I was a twin and one died, and somebody in the congregation said, which one? Well, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're more intelligent up here than down south, I tell you. I said the other one that went home. I think it was a psychiatrist who said it, but I'm not sure. My generation was called the silent generation. We grew up working hard. We kept quiet. It was commonly understood that children should be seen and not heard. My parents used to say, sit there, be quiet, and don't speak till you're spoken to. People didn't speak freely. They grew up during the aftermath of the oppression of the war. Rationing for nine years. We weren't encouraged to speak out. We were told you should be seen and not heard. What was that crutch? Frustration, limitation. Nobody wants to listen to us. Then my wife's generation, 1946 to 1964, the baby boomers. Significant increase in births when the war was over and the soldiers came back and the sailors and the airmen, women coming off the land and out of factories. In America alone, 76.4 million were born alone in that period of time. One quarter of the whole population were born at the end of the Second World War. There's still a generation that need to be reached because they're a nothing generation. All, all they've got to boast about is that they were born. And they went through the rock and roll years. How about young people born between 1965 and 1979? Generation X. A generation described as disaffected and directionless and slackers. <coughs> That's you. Get a life. <laughs> See the nudges going on in there. You love that, is. You never wash up at home, do you? Get on. I can see one listening to this. It's the middle child generation syndrome. They felt neglected and ignored. Now, these are not Christians writing these. These are psychologists. They're the middle child syndrome. I'm not the oldest. I'm not the youngest. They just feel I'm being ignored. My God, and, and, and Christianity is a crutch. I think the psychologists could say something good about us, wouldn't they? How about young people born between 75 and 85? Exennials. Don't shout yet. Psychologists say you're a micro-generation described as having an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. It describes the blending of Generation X and Millennials. They've been described as people who don't feel they belong to any of the generations. They're described as remembering the time before digital age, but barely. I just... <laughs> Comedy, 
<laughs> oh, it's, it's God just saying, keep going, Dave. <laughs> couldn't have happened any better. Well, he could, there's another one. He could have timed it better. There's those born between 1980 and 1994, Generation Y. Increasingly familiar with digital and electronic technology, they're eco-boomers, children of the baby boomers. They are the internet generation feeling dissatisfaction with social and climate issues. They're the ones who are causing <coughs> riots in the streets because we're losing our planet. They're eco-boomers. They're not happy with the world because we're destroying it. Now the church has a responsibility because we know that the world is going to be destroyed. It's in scripture. This world is going to result in flames. But we don't show them there's an option. We don't tell them, yes, we should take care of the, of the, of the, of the world because we are custodians of it. He gave Adam the responsibility to have control of it. But whatever they do, it's too late. The Bible says that it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth because the old will pass away. Because only it's going to be consumed. Climate change is rife. We are going to get hotter and hotter. And it is going to burn. Read the Bible. It's in there. We don't teach it nowadays, but it's in there. The world is going to burn. The world knows it and the church is silent. Well, the church goes, oh, fancy them doing that. Well, tell them. It's in the word of God. Yes, still try and save the world, but it is going to go. It's too late now. It's going to go. The Bible says it's going to go. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and the old will pass away. Behold, I make all things new. When this girl who's died comes back to earth one day, she'll be working on a new earth. Come on. Yeah. She's not coming back to the old one. She's coming back to a new one. Yeah. New woman, new body, new earth. New heaven. Well, we don't tell people, but they're right. So don't mock them. They actually know, but nobody's telling them it's in the Bible. How about young people born between 1995 and 2012? Some children in your Sunday school upstairs, Generation Z, they're still young. Psychologists don't fully know what they will look like. They are perceived to be excellent multitaskers. They've been referred to as millennials on steroids. <laughs> but listen to this. This isn't laughing. They're showing progressive beliefs regarding globalization, inclusion, technology, religion, very liberal in their spectrum of acceptance of sexuality. It means this generation's growing up where anything goes. They're liberal. Whatever you want to do, if it doesn't affect anybody else, do it. In religion, they're all the same. Sexuality, it's all the same. Globalization, it's all the same. Peace, man. It's <laughs> like we used to have in the, in the hippie days. Peace, man. All you need is love. Da, 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 da. It's escape from reality by blending. Whatever you think, man, that's right, man. If it suits you, man, that's good, man. Those are your kids growing up. That's your future generation. Those are the kids up in Sunday school now unless God breaks in. How about the future generation? They've even got that tab. Children born between 2.10, which makes them nine now, and 2025 in the future. They've been labelled as Generation Alpha. <coughs> They're the first generation entirely born within the 21st century. By 2025, when the youngest will be born, they will account for 2 billion global population. They are born alongside iPhones, iPads, and appliances. They didn't ever know a life without them. 
They can't even imagine a time without them. They're not afraid of technology. They grow up with artificial intelligence. They face the diagnosis one day of illness by AI chatbots. My grandchildren, when they were only two or three, could work a phone better than my wife. Here you are, Nana. Here are Granddad. They can't exist without it. I saw, I saw a YouTube the other week which was laughable, two 16-year-olds trying to make a, a phone call on a dial phone. <laughs> Half an hour, they still couldn't do it. They didn't know how to pick it up and dial. They're doing dialing it, picking, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> now you try. And they just couldn't do it because they were born in an age whereby there was no such things. They're completely reliant. NHS are considering now talking sexuality to three and four-year-old children through Skype. Are you sure that the age of four of your sexuality? <coughs> We're on Skype because three and four-year-olds only know how to communicate now through technology. Each and every generation since 1890 has been labelled. Each generation having needs, be it acceptance, grief, identity, future stability. And we do live in a world of stress, brokenness, global warming. Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, Romans 8, 19. Why it is subjected to futility, simply it needs a crutch. The world's broken, we're broken. The point is, what crutch? We need multiple strategies. We need to raise up people who can converse with all these generations. It's no good concentrating the church on the future generation and losing six other generations. We've got to be a church that yeah. can actually meet the need of each generation. And it, so it means you can't sing hymns just for the old people and sing modern songs and smoke machines just for the new generation. We've got to have a strategy to reach every single one. Because the crutch is the same, but the size is different. If you're a kid and you, and you need a crutch in the hospital, it's a different one to an elderly person who needs a Zimmer. It's a support machine for every single generation and we need to be very, very cute in the way we reach the generations. I believe in technology. I believe in the whole lot. We do, we do lots of stuff now. I'm doing, I'm doing 15 minute things on, 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 on camera so we can push those to the internet. Great, let's go for it. Why bring people out, 20 people out for a Bible study when they can sit at home and do it on the computer? Just put it on camera and let them do it. Bring the people out for something special. I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. People work away and, and rather than sitting there watching television and pornography, let them watch Christian teaching on their computer. Push it out to them. Let them see it. Let's educate people through that. I'm all for modern technology. But we've also got to realise there's a lot of people in our churches who aren't of that age and we've got to get alongside them and speak to them. Meet the need. It's not easy being a multi-generational church. It's better sometimes being all old or all young because you don't have to sweat. Yeah. Just do one thing each week. So you have to adapt. One hospital came to me and said, could you do the Christmas for our dementia because we can't find a ministry we'll do with dementia. They're frightened of it. So I thought, how can I adapt? So I went in there and blessed the heart. They're all sitting there, all dribbling and staring into nothing. So I said, good morning. They didn't say anything. I said, it's 1945. The war's just over and your husbands have just come home. Isn't that wonderful? They went, yes. <laughs> yeah. I said, not much money for Christmas this year, is there? No. But it's good to have them back, isn't it? Yeah. Not much money, is there? No. Shall we sing one of the good old hymns? Sing the carol. Oh, come on, you faithful. Yeah. They sang that. 
I did the whole service as if it was 1945. I got to the end and the staff were crying. They said they came alive. I said, yes, because the key was they remember, they're in their 80s and 90s, they remember 1945. That's the last part of their memory to go. If I asked them what they did 10 minutes ago, now here's the miracle, they asked me back for Easter and two patients said, you came at Christmas. Wow. So what am I saying? If you can adapt with people who have got dementia, you can adapt with people of any of these generations. Because there's a common need in that generation that they carry. It's almost like a curse upon their life that you come and get alongside them and you release it by being a support in Christ, by saying, I know exactly where you come from. I know the generation you come from. You might feel you've been marginalized, but not in Christ. You may feel you've been excluded. You're the middle child, but not in Christ. I know because God did that to me. I felt unloved and unwanted. My generation was a silent generation. We were recovering from the war. So we need those strategies. Walking aids differ according to age and condition of the patient. By reaching only the next generation, we lose at least four still active, involved generations in our church. But we must know our future and be ready to stand in it and not outside of it. Do we need a crush? Yes, of course we do. It enables us to recover from incapacity. We are a work in progress. We, we lean on the everlasting arms of Christ. Colossians 1.11 says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience with joy. Lou Fellingham is a gospel singer. She was at our church the other week. She, she sung a modern version of the hymn published in 1887, leaning on the everlasting arms. This last verse simply says this, what have I to fear? What have I to dread? Leaning on the everlasting arms. The call comes very simply this morning. What are you leaning on? You may be a Christian, but you're not totally leaning on Christ. You're leaning on your own understanding. Lean not unto your own understanding, the Bible says. But in all your ways, say all your ways. All your ways. In all your ways, say it again. All your ways. So it says this. It says, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't go back into your generation. Don't go back into what the people do. You know, you know, your neighbour might be a great neighbour, but if they're, the first, if they're the first person you go to when you've got a problem, they're your crutch. The first thing you do is go and have a tipple. That's your crutch. What is your crutch? Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways, sir. In all your ways. In all your ways. Lean on him. Lean on me. When you're not strong, I'll be your friend. Do, 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 do. Come on. Come on. I'm priest heavy to you today. I'm not giving you deep theology. I've told you truth. And that is in, in Whitley Bay that are all those generations sitting in their houses this morning. How are we going to reach them? You feed the poor. That's part of it. You take care of the marginalized. That's another part of it. It's not always with preaching. You know, when a man's on the floor, you don't need to preach. You need to pick him up. I found as being a chaplain, and I'm a, and I'm a frontline preacher, been all, all over the world preaching. Being a chaplain's great because it took me ages to realize you can't preach, you just got to sort of live, have some fun. I'll leave you with this. I told them yesterday. I go to the chemo unit a lot, I go to all the dialysis where some people have been there for 20 years, three days a week, and I build up rapport with those coming in regular. So I meet all the people coming in with stage four cancer. and. Um, spend a lot of time in dialysis uh, uh, and in chemo and hematology. And um, 
because you can't preach, you're not allowed to preach. So I got there all with my bishop shirt on and my cross and my badge and everything and that. Do you know somebody stopped me in the car park the other week and said, you're the car park attendant. <laughs> and I said, yeah. <laughs> well, you've got to be helpful. <laughs> oh, good, she said, where's the pain machine? I said, just over there on the left, thanks, love. I thought, I'd like to see what the car park attendant looked like. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? And then because of dementia around the country now, they're giving you yellow badges with your name on because people can remember your name then. And I forgot I got it on the first week. They walked into the ward and all the patients went, Hi, Dave. And I said, how do you know me? They said, it's your badge. Oh, I said, that's because of my age. I need it. <laughs> but I went into the, into the chemo this week and there's one lady, bless her, she's stage four. She should have died a few months ago. And she's really sort of maintaining it and she's a lovely woman and we have a laugh. And, you know, we, we don't belittle anything, but nearly all the patients we finish up having roaring laughters with. And um, I had met her husband before, and he turned around and he said, Are you Dave? And I went, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm Dave. Yeah. First time I've come with my wife, he said, My niece normally comes and she she's talk, talks about you. When you go, Uncle, see Dave the chaplain and ask him what made him give up football to be a priest. And I went, Really? Yeah. And I went, I can't tell you today because I've got to go to some other patients. But if you go on Amazon yeah. and look up A Life of Two Hours, it's the whole of my life story. I said, and it'll tell you everything about me and how I became a Christian. I'll tell it and I'll buy one myself. And I have. It ain't easy. It ain't hard to meet the need of people. Throw them a crutch. Yeah. Walking stick. A Zimmer frame. Helping them get on their feet and walk. Find Christ. They'll walk and not grow weary. They'll run and not faint. And they'll come yeah. to you one day and they'll say, thanks for that crutch. Thank you for that walking stick. So when they say to you, Christian age is a crutch, you say, you're intelligent. Who told you that? <laughs> what a brilliant statement. Well done, mate. What's yours? <laughs> because yours will let you down. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He'll direct your path. Lean not. Yeah. Lean not unto your own understanding, but in all your ways. How many? Yeah. He'll direct your paths. So it's a simple question I'm going to ask you and I'm going to pray. <coughs> What's your crutch? See this poor guy here who's lost his wife. Well, I tell you, there's many things he could turn to for a crutch. The only thing that's going to put him through this is leaning on Christ and his brothers and sisters. Yes, is he going to be upset? Yes, he is. Do you want to cry? Yes, he is. Yes, you can. Can you ask the question why? Yes. I was called in by two high-ranking Hindus, consulting doctors. Their daughter was found unconscious. She was 17 on a life support machine. They asked for a Hindu priest. They couldn't find one. They said, we want a Christian one. I walk in there and the room is full of high-ranking Hindus. And I say, Lord, this is what I've been called for. When I raise this girl from the dead, they're all going to get born again. She died. Did that affect my faith? No. Because my job's not to raise the dead, it's to pray for them. And I walked out and I said, I don't understand what happened there, Lord. He said, it's not for you to understand. You did the praying. They'll remember that a Christian came in and prayed because they hugged me and cried over me and thanked me. He said, it's not for you to know the picture. I know the picture. You do what I tell you. We don't understand why this girl's died. 
And don't try and put any spirituality on it. We don't know. She's subject to this world. In this world, you will have tribulation. But be a good courage. I've overcome the world. We do have tribulation. And as much as your faith will might tell you differently, we still become sick. Because fear not him who can affect your body, but he who can affect your soul. God we respect, not the devil. And we, and we get sickness because we're in a fallen, polluted world. We breathe in polluted air. We eat polluted food. And there's polluted statements going into our body every day. We're subject to it. God heals some and not others. I don't understand why that is. I have people healed from cancer like you wouldn't believe in. Others that die. Sometimes the more spiritual die and the less spiritual live because they need to get themselves sorted out. Let's pray. At this time, I normally give an appeal, but I'm not going to do that today because God told me not to. But I want you to identify with the generation that you fitted into. Psychologists have labeled you. That's exactly how they see you. And that's how your generation appears on the map of life. But you don't have to be part of that. You can be part of a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a new generation. You can be part of the generation of the redeemed. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You don't have to be subject to disappointment, fear, depression. You don't have to be subject to those things. You can rise above your stated generation. You can be part of a new generation. The redeemed, made up of Jew and Gentile, male and female, all together, all one in Christ Jesus. We can be part of a real, wonderful new generation, infecting, affecting the defection of Whitley Bay. We can become that people <coughs> where old and young can be together, children playing at the front, the older ones in the church, selecting of the music, selecting of the preaching, selecting of the caring, each generation feeding each other, feeding each other, Grandparents in this church taking care of single mothers. There's couples in this church now and your grandparents, you're of that age. Why don't you adopt a single mom who walks into this church? Take their kids out to the beach, buy them an ice cream and there's not too much money. Adopt them. Do you know I've got so many children in my church that I'm granddad to, literally. And they've grown up and they still call me granddad. They come around the house, kick the shoes off, all colours. I've got black grandchildren. And they just come in and they kick their shoes off and they say, hi, Nan, hi, Granddad. Some of them aren't even walking with the Lord. One's a boxer. And he comes around and says, Granddad, I've come to tell you about my last fight. But how's he going to become a Christian if I don't become his granddad? I'm going to love him. I'm going to love him. And I have children from Africa and all India and all over the place. And they call me, South Africa, they call me Opa, Granddad. You say, I haven't got a ministry in this church, but a single mom walks in and she's struggling. Come on, adopt them. Come on. Come on. Become a spiritual mom and dad to them. Let them sit by you in church. At Christmas, take them to see Father Christmas. Forget your theology. Go on, take him down there. <laughs> Buy him a dip, yo ho ho. Come on, let's become a church that crosses the generations. And if God's speaking to you today, as you stand to your feet, as we come to this prayer, begin to commit yourself to Christ. If there's a dependency in your life which isn't of God, ask God to break it now in the name of Jesus. Break that addiction. Break that dependency. Break that solvents. In the name of Jesus, that relationship which isn't right, break it now in the name of Jesus. 
Lean on the everlasting arms. What have I to fear? What have I to dread? Leaning on the everlasting arms of Christ. Receive now the Holy Spirit on your life, setting you free, bringing a miracle in your body, a miracle in your mind, soul and spirit. I ask that in the precious name of Jesus, be free now. Amen.